Kyle Dyer and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, March 10th. This week we recognize International Women's Day and I wonder will we get our first female mayor this spring or will the only woman in the race to take over the current woman leading the Republican Party here in Colorado be chosen this weekend? And women legislators are sponsoring some of the pieces of gun legislation that we've been seeing go through the Capitol this week, including the assault weapons ban. That was co-sponsored by two women. Let me introduce you to tonight's panel, starting with the only woman panelist for this show, the great Pat Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward. We also have with us David Kopel. David is the research director at the Independence Institute, as well as Eric Sonderman, columnist for Colorado Politics and the Denver and Springs Gazettes, and Jesse Paul, reporter at the Colorado Sun. Thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, we had been waiting to see if the assault weapons bill would be introduced this session. We're halfway through the session now, and it has been introduced. Patty, the other gun violence prevention bills have also had a lot of talk this week. So the assault weapons bill, which I'm sure David will say something about, is the one that Polis seems least interested in. And so if that makes it through, I'm going to be surprised. What is the bill that I think will get the most attention and the most push through is the red flag law, extending it. I mean, we had the big gun control measures after the shooting at the Aurora Theater shootings. Now these are inspired by the Club Q shootings in November. And when you look at the perpetrators of these crimes, you always wonder, isn't there some way they could have been prevented? Someone could have identified the issues, stopped them from happening. And that's, of course, the goal. Everyone wants to stop these. They don't want to take away Second Amendment rights. They want to stop them as tragedies. Mm -hmm. And the red flag law, which has barely been used in El Paso County, where the Club Q shootings occurred, if it were extended in Colorado, if people were really warning about where there was danger, maybe, just maybe, it would help. The other things we have are waiting periods, older, you have to be 21 to buy weapons, and also a possibility of being able to sue manufacturers. So we're going to see a lot more action and hear a lot more before this is done. Mm -hmm. David. Well, the uh, I was down at the legislature testifying on, on some of those bills uh, on Monday and uh, on, on Wednesday. It, it's interesting to see how the gun prevention lobby and the abortion prevention lobby copy so much of each other's tactics. So the idea of waiting periods, that got thought up by the anti-gun people and then it got copied by the anti-abortion people. The liability bill is another thing that, that's copied from the anti-abortion people and then will be copied back uh, by them and extended. In Texas, there's a law that says if you had nothing to do with an abortion, you can still sue a doctor who provided an abortion. Here, the new bill would say if there was a gun crime in Colorado and maybe the victim doesn't want to sue Smith & Wesson because he doesn't think it's their fault, the attorney general can sue anyway or the attorney general can designate someone else to sue, like one of the gun prevention lobbies. And, of course, the point of this is to bankrupt the gun businesses through enormous litigation expenses, even if the cases never win. Uh, and this has been a long-standing long strategy. I, I guess I have two observations, Kyle, overall on this issue. And I'm not specifically talking about the assault weapons ban. I'm talking mm -hmm. about the gun bills mm -hmm. uh, writ large. Number one is that there is some more division in Democratic ranks, particularly around assault weapons, but on some of these other bills as well. And that is an indication of how big the Democratic majority is in, in the legislature at this point. So you now have Democrats representing rural seats 
or Highlands Ranch, Douglas County seats, or El Paso County seats, or other seats that have historically been Republican seats, but they're now being held by Democrats. And therefore, those Democrats, in the course of trying to represent their constituency, who are maybe not as all in on some of this legislation as other Democrats are, are pulling back in some respects. So in, in some ways, it's really the division is a testimony to the fact that they control everything and do so by large margins. Secondly, it strikes me that the fact that the assault weapons ban is going to get so much fire, pun very much intended, um, almost benefits some of these other bills because so much focus by anti-gun types, I mean, excuse me, anti-gun control types, um, and by the press and others will be on the assault weapons ban that it allows some of these other bills to go, if not under the radar, at least with a little less heat attached to them. Jesse, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that, honestly, we saw the bill be introduced to begin with. I, I wasn't sure that it would come, and, and there were certainly talk in the legislature of it being sidelined. Then it was dropped late on a Friday night. I had to interrupt my dinner to, to kind of look into it. Uh, and we asked, you know, was this done to kind of bury the bill? And we were told no, but I don't know why you would introduce a bill on a Friday evening if you weren't trying to bury it. Um, I actually think that the bill, the assault weapons bill, in some, some ways makes it harder for the other bills to pass because a lot of the Democrats in the legislature feel like it, it's kind of hurting their messaging around it. And, and honestly, when you talk to lawmakers and leadership, the Senate president told us the other day that he doesn't think it has the votes in the Senate. It, so I don't think it'll make it to the governor's desk. Should it make it to the governor's desk, I think it will get vetoed. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I think it'll be an interesting debate, and certainly we'll see some interesting divisions among the really large Democratic caucuses in the House and Senate. Before we go to the next topic, do you want to address what Dave was talking about regarding the, the abortion story and, and the lawsuits and how that's being brought up in the legislature as well? Sure. So, yeah, on Thursday, Democrats introduced three different abortion bills that seek to further ensure access to abortion uh, in Colorado. So they would um, basically prevent out-of-state lawsuits from having any enforcement here or out-of-state criminal investigations from having enforcement in Colorado, uh, change some stuff around uh, health insurance policy around abortion, and then also uh, prevent so-called deceptive advertising or deceptive practices for anti-abortion pregnancy centers who sometimes will offer or say that they offer abortion services or Plan B, but don't actually. So they, they get people in and then often try and convince those folks not to get an abortion. So those those bills are interesting, the intersection to the legality there. I, I think that's an interesting point with the, with the civil side of things. Okay, thank you. Uh, days before the voting for the next chair of the Colorado Republican Party, which happens tomorrow, former Mesa County GOP Chair Kevin McCartney joined the race, making now for seven candidates for the job. Uh, David, he's calling for the Republican Party to come together and unify. Yeah, which is a kind of common thing. You can find that at every, you know, uh, party uh, leadership uh, thing. And I don't think most voters know. I mean, the name recognition, you know, can you name the chair of the Colorado Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the nas nationally? You know, it, it's, they've got name recognition under 1%. So the, the main thing they need to do is be competent managers to set up an or a, a state organization that, that can help uh, their candidates. Uh, but And it's also true that voters don't necessarily punish a party for putting election deniers into positions of leadership. You know, there within the Democratic Party, there are a lot of 
you know, deniers who think that Hillary Clinton won in 2018 and Stacey Abrams won the, the uh, Hillary in 2016, Stacey Abrams for governor of Georgia in 2018, you know, Looney Tunes theories. Um, and that didn't seem to hurt the Democratic Party with the voters. Uh, but I got to say, it, it's sad that nobody in the, who's running for Republican chair can actually say that Joe Biden won this election. And you look at even crazier in El Paso County, where Vicki Tompkins, the state part of the county party chair, there got reelected despite running the local party there into the ground as a crazy cult of personality. Okay, uh, Eric. Well, uh, I don't think the party chair is that important in terms of a public representative, as David said, of the party. But it still does indicate where the mindset of that party is at any point in time. And to David's point about Hillary Clinton and Stacey Abrams, yes, there are deniers in the Democratic Party, and shame on them. But I'm not aware that any of them tried to assault the Capitol, tried to mount an insurrection, tried to overturn an election and that capability. So there's certainly a difference of massive degree. Uh, I don't know if any of these candidates up in, you know, the meeting is this weekend up in Loveland. I don't know if any of them are going to do like a reception on Friday night, which is somewhat typical. But if they did, they might show a movie. I was trying to think of good movies. It could be Apocalypse Now. It could be <laughs> Mad Max. It could be Death Wish. And that seems to be where this party is headed. Just when you think there's no bottom, they keep exploring further depths. I wrote a column about this a couple of weeks ago. I quoted uh, one significant Republican operative in town, and his quote was that the Republican brand in Colorado is only slightly above that of gonorrhea. And, you know, you take some of these people and they're saying, okay, maybe not gonorrhea, but, you know, do we hear anything for syphilis? And uh, these people just refuse to get a grip on reality. To David's point, there is one contender in this race, the new, uh, Mesa, uh, new mm -hmm. contender in the race, former chair of Mesa County. I think his name is Kevin McCarney or mm -hmm. something like that. And he does acknowledge Biden's victory. So bully for him on that. And that probably means he has no chance whatsoever. Jesse, you actually moderated a debate with these people running for the GOP party chair. Yeah, I made it out alive. It's a little nerve wracking. What was it like? Well, obviously, these folks have a lot of animosity toward the media. So I totally appreciated their willingness to engage with us on that. Look, I think that the number one job of a state party chair is to do no harm. And I think that all of these folks uh, have potential to do harm to the Colorado Republican Party. And I think when you talk to Republicans, they're certainly nervous about the entire slate. I haven't heard anyone be very ecstatic about any of them. And, and, and I think that that kind of says a lot. You know, the election denialism stuff, there's a lot of people in the party who want to move on. But all of these candidates, except for uh, Mr. McCartney, kind of have dragged the party back there. But I think it's also important to remember that the same the people who are going to be voting on who the state party chair are a different group than the people who show up at the statewide assembly. These are, you know, Republican activists who have been around for longer. They're maybe a little bit more moderate, maybe a little less election denially. So it'll be interesting to see who comes out. You know, in terms of the debate, what we found that I found was very interesting is a lot of the candidates are quite similar. And so I think, uh, you know, you'll see this go to several ballots. It's going to be an all-day thing, and, and I'm very grateful for my colleague who's taking my place on Saturday, so I don't <laughs> have to be there. Okay. Uh, Tina Peters is the only woman in this race, in this field. Um, yes, and uh, she, we're taking someone, a woman who I did an, I thought, very good job considering what she ran into, which is uh, Christy Burton-Brown. I mean, she 
came in and, you know, she was a very early activist. I don't agree with her politics. I don't agree with her stance on personhood. But she came into a party where it's really kind of hard to tell where the people are because you've got so many crazies like Tina Peters. The movie, Eric, should probably be Groundhog Day because <laughs> if they don't get a little smarter and realize you need to have more of a centrist, someone who does no harm, to really push the party along, the Republicans are not going to be winning in Colorado. They need less crazy, more common sense. And I do think maybe this late entrant from Mesa County, who's seen you know the belly of the beast with Tina Peters, maybe he is a good solution. That'll probably mean they won't vote for him and we'll have Groundhog Day all over again. Okay. Speaking of election and candidates, this coming Monday, ballots will be going out in the mail for the Denver citywide races, including the large race for the 46th mayor of our city. The first new mayor Denver will see in 12 years. Eric, the field is very wide, but this week we saw some reports saying who's winning when it comes to fundraising. We did see those reports, Kyle. And the big, quick, the big question is, Fundraising, if you're running for the U.S. Senate or you're running for governor, fundraising is not everything, but it is a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Historically, fundraising in a mayoral race is important, but it's less important. I mean, Federico Pena didn't have the money, and yet he was elected mayor. Ditto for Wellington Webb. Hickenlooper was not the big money guy in 2003. That was Ari Zavaris. Mm -hmm. Hancock was not the big money guy 12 years ago. So we'll see if all the rules have changed like they have about so much other politics nationally and money still dictates everything or whether it's still more about grassroots and mobilizing constituencies or whatever. I don't think money is everything in this race. I do think it is something. Kelly Brough has it. Mike Johnston clearly has it. Mike got another big injection of money yesterday through his independent expenditure committee from the founder of LinkedIn to the tune of another $225,000 or something like that. Hansen is still on the air, but we'll see how long he can stay on the air. Um, Debbie Ortega's momentum seems to have sort of slowed somewhat, perhaps Leslie Harrod with some bad press. It's wild, and it's wild to think that this election is almost here in terms of ballots being on our kitchen tables. It doesn't seem like it's been going on all that long. You're mostly at the legislature, but you've dappled some into the mayor's race, Jesse. Yeah, we have a few state lawmakers who are in the race, so, so we're definitely paying attention to it. I, I think this is so fascinating. 17 candidates, I've never covered anything like it. And, and frankly, the polling is really fascinating because, you know, I'm a poll geek. I like the statistics side of it. There is no front runner. I mean, all of these folks are within the margin of error. I think Denver voters are extremely confused and looking for any reason to or to not vote for people. And so that makes every single word that these folks say, you know, so important. Every single news article that comes out, of, out, out about them, very important. All of the money, you know, you look at those stories, if you're on top for the money race, who, that could help or hurt. We did a thing this week where we asked the candidates to record uh, their airport train greetings. Everybody knows the mayor through the airport train. And there were folks commenting on Twitter, oh, this is gonna help me decide. I think this is this is a totally wide open race. I really don't know what's going to happen. The money stuff is very interesting, and I think we'll see a lot more outside groups getting involved, and, and that could have a big impact. Although I highly recommend everyone go look at that article in Colorado Sun and listen to all the. Not every candidate recorded something, but it kind of shows personality, and I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was a great idea, Patty. Well, I wanted to steal it, but I didn't. <laughs> Brilliant idea from Jesse, and it did show personality. And I want to point out. PBS 12 is doing great short pieces on these candidates, and I've watched them, and they tell me more about the candidates mm -hmm. than all the dead trees we have now killed. <laughs> I mean, the trees we've killed with story after story after story. 
I think what we're going to see is people waiting till the very end to vote mm -hmm. uh, because they're still trying to decide. The personalities are coming through slowly. You have people who buy TV ads and you have people criticizing the TV ads. You have people now beginning to attack, really noting what the front runners, such as they are, said at certain times. So there's a lot of fact checking going on. I think Denverites are going to wait till the very end. And we had better hope the Denver Election Commission, which was very slow, the division, counting ballots in November is ready to count an influx of ballots coming in at the very end because I think people will be waiting. Influx in terms of just all at once or do you think there'll be a big turnout? I think, I hope we have a big turnout, but I think we will have at very, very late voters and they blamed a late count on in November yeah. for late voters. Yeah, David. Perhaps unrealistically, I still continue to think that Debbie Ortega is one of the strongest candidates because the TV, a lot of candidates are getting known through TV ads. She is the candidate, I think, who by far is, has gotten to know more Denver voters in person because of her very long service on the Denver City Council, including uh, representing the, the entire city um, at large. And I think that's a, a hidden advantage uh, for her. The, the Axios uh, and, uh, story and, and others on, on Colorado, on, uh, Leslie Herod, uh, state uh, legislator for running a toxic workplace, um, I'd point out two things. One is you don't have to be a nice guy running your office to be effective. You know, John Hickenlooper, who we all thought of as this, you know, very affable, here, you know, would you like a beer with your hamburger kind of guy, turned out to be quite a screamer uh, behind closed doors in his office. Charles Schumer, super effective legislator, I talked to one of his staffers. Schumer had never, no hesitation about calling up somebody at midnight on a Saturday night. And of all the words, many words Schumer says, thank you, was never among them. So, but, but obviously he's, he's getting the job done. However, for the Leslie Herod thing, it takes it to a whole new level when an intern organization cuts you off, like happened to her. That's, that's a much bigger level of office dysfunction than just the, the boss blowing his stack from time to time. So that does raise questions about whether she could be effective in an executive role. Okay. Uh, Senator Michael Bennett and Congressman Joe Neguse are urging the U.S. Forest Service to hold off on approving a new rail service in Utah that would connect to Colorado rail lines. Jesse, it's all because of what would be in those rail cars. Yeah, crude oil. I'm told it's waxy crude oil. So our, my colleague J Jason Blevins has been doing a really good job on this. You know, th this has a lot to do also with, with water issues in the western slope. Obviously, if you contaminate water with waxy crude oil, that's going to be a disaster given given our water shortage issues. One of the interesting political things that I think is maybe getting lost a little bit in this is the fact that you know this is the Biden administration who's going to have to ultimately make the decision about whether or not these trains can go through. It's the Department of Agriculture again, you know, USDA Biden effectively will make that decision. So I think having pressure from from two of Colorado's Congress people will will certainly have an effect. But it, it, it's something to to keep an eye on. You know, the, with climate change and and the debates around environment. There's a lot of pressure on the president, certainly, to, to make what I think these folks think would be the right call here and to stop it. And wasn't it originally approved back in July? And do you think, Patty, it's because of what we have all seen and heard of what happened in Ohio that people are thinking, oh, trains, what's on trains? Oh, absolutely. And it's not just one train. Of course, then we have another derailment, not with such toxic materials, but you're like, 
house safe are these? I want to cite, I've already cited Jesse for his brilliant DIA thing. David Sirota and the Lever have been doing incredible reporting on how they rolled back safety. The Democrats rolled back safety. It wasn't just the Republicans on trains. And so if Congress now is really going to pay attention to where safety had been rolled back, these trains should be able to operate safely, but they should also be punished much more when they do not follow the rules. So it's time to take a deep look. I don't know whether this is going to go through or not, because you also have the whole issue about people need gas, people need fuel, people need these products. And what is the safe way to transport them? Where do you think this will go, David? Probably approved, but uh, I think it's true that it's still up, you know, there's a chance for the other way. The safest way to move something is by a pipeline, you know, and the, the statistics show that by, by far. That's the safest way to do something. So maybe uh, Senator Bennett, Representative Goose, will say, well, okay, good, Let, let's build a pipeline uh, along the rail line, and that'll move the oil much more safer with less risk of, and you wouldn't have the risk of derailment. But trains on the whole, for moving any kind of, of hazardous cargo, are way safer than moving them by truck, by, by tanker truck. So they're, they're in the middle. So if they're not going to support pipelines, um, uh, I, I think they're mistaken. The alternative to this, people say, is uh, uh, solar panels and wind farms and things like that. But those are more expensive uh, than uh, natural sources like, like uh, oil or far more expensive than nuclear energy um, and, and are only economically viable because of subsidies you pay. And so if, if you're against the uh, moving fossil fuels safely, uh, then what you're en en endorsing is what John Denver was against, which is more scars upon the land. Okay. All right. Thank you for the John Denver quote. Thank you. <laughs> Eric. No John Denver quotes. I'll try to be quick here. Living a good chunk of the time, maybe a mile from the Fraser River up in Tabernash and similar distance from that main rail line where these trains would be coming through. Obviously, I have an interest in the issue. Kudos to Senator Bennett, kudos to Congressman Nagoose for raising it, for pushing it. And whatever the resolution, the environmental impact in Colorado should be weighed just as heavily as the main transportation corridor as the environmental impact is being weighed in Utah, which is where this is originating. I was curious about, since you're up there so much, how you felt about that. Okay, now let's get to our lightning round, where we talk about the good and the bad that happened this week. Patty, I'll start with you and some of the bad. Well, playing off some of what we talked about last week, the Dominion lawsuit, so Dominion, which is based here, has been slapped, pushed around since November, the election in 2020, has sued Fox News, and now you are hearing more and more about how Fox managers, on-air talent, knew exactly how false the election rigging stories were that they kept pushing. And Jenna Ellis, a Trump lawyer who's got connections here in Colorado, just got spanked by regulators here for talking about how the election had been stolen and knowing it was false. Mm -hmm. David. I used to be a monthly donor to a group called the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, whose name isn't accurate anymore, except they still are based in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, but they don't do poverty law anymore. And they used to do things like sue terrorist organizations, such as the Ku Klux Klan, for their crimes. But recently, one of their lawyers was arrested for participating in a terrorist attack uh, against a police training center in, uh, uh, in Georgia, acting as a, basically a perimeter scout uh, for the attack. And rather than saying, oh, he shouldn't have done that, they're saying that he's among the, among the many terrorists who are the supposed victims uh, of the police. 
Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, I certainly agree with Patty and particularly her uh, condemnation, shall we say, of Jenna Ellis, that renowned constitutional scholar, attorney uh, with Colorado roots. Um, also, uh, Representative Matt Soper from the Western Slope of Colorado. I have found Matt generally to be a good guy and a reasonable guy, but he went over the top this week uh, in tweeting on the assault weapons ban. Uh, and even though he then apologized, I believe, for the tweet, he didn't take the tweet down, and he referenced, uh, it was completely over the top, including referencing the possibility of civil war. Yeah. Jesse. Okay, mine's more docile, but I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this uh, is my disgrace, but I-70 this year has just been rough, and I feel like I'm still very tired. <laughs> going, going up skiing has been just brutal. Last weekend was really bad on yeah. Sunday, wasn't it? Yeah. All right, let's talk about some good. Aside from the conditions, once you get to the ski resorts, what's something good this week? How about happy 50th anniversary to the Eisenhower Tunnel? If you think it's bad now, imagine what it was like trying to get to the mountains 51 years ago. See, Jesse, it's not so bad. <laughs> well, something that's been great in our state for a long time and should be remembered, J.D. McFarland, uh, the former Colorado Attorney General, uh, passed away recently. And he was probably the most important Colorado uh, Attorney General in Colorado history because he it is an elected state constitutional office and he was the one who really changed it from just being a, a minion of the state agencies into its proper constitutional role of, of a constitutional officer who makes independent decisions. Okay. I did not know J.D. McFarland had passed away. Thank you for mentioning mm -hmm. that, David. A, a really yeah, good yeah. man um, from, you know, served in the 1970s, 1980s and served Colorado well. Also passing away in the last week, Bob Uigen. Uh, editorial writer, longtime editorial writer at the Denver Post, a unique character with an emphasis on both unique and character, <laughs> who was an occasional participant on Colorado Inside Out in years long gone by as well, so he'll be missed. Thank you for bringing that up too. Jesse. Uh, so Thursday was the halfway mark for the legislative session, 120-day session, and I kind of wonder if people who have been watching me like slowly degrade as I've been <laughs> appearing on this show, so I I'm excited for the last 60 days to be over. And we're, and we're glad you're here. We're going to keep checking on you, make sure you're all right. Thank you all. Thanks, panel, for coming. Thanks for watching tonight. We appreciate it so much. And you can watch the show or share it with a friend by going to pbs12.org anytime. Again, that is also where you're going to find a lot of content pertaining to the Denver mayoral race. As Patty was talking, we have a series called Humanize. And that's where there are individual vignettes on each of the character, uh, the, the different candidates, and you get to know their character and why they're running. Humanize, you'll find it on PBS 12. Definitely check it out before you uh, look at your ballot when it arrives next week. I'm Kyle Dyer. I will see you next week right here on PBS 12.